It is good to be back. We've been traveling, running all over the creation, um, watched our daughter in a play, and uh, got to uh, visit the campus church there in Pensacola, and then we spent some vacation in Tennessee, and then went to the Knowing God Conference in Asheville, North Carolina, and heard many great messages on, uh, on knowing God, and that was a blessing. But it is even bigger blessing to be back in our home church in North Belt this morning. Thankful to be with all of you beautiful people and see your smiling faces and to be a part of the local church that God has assembled, this small subset of the body of Christ, and thankful for that. Um, if you will, turn in your copy of the Word of God to Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to read verses 18 to 23. Familiar story here. <clears throat> and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall be no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take my hand, and I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you um, for this time this morning. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we look to better understand how glorious you are and how we may glorify you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few books um, that you may be interested in. Stephen Lawson, Show Me Your Glory. Um, R.C. Sproul, The Glory of Christ. And then uh, this little book, which I'm drawing from a good bit this morning, is John Owen. He was a Puritan in the 1600s. Um, but these uh, Puritan paperbacks, made easy to read and abridged, are for those that are lazy like me and do not want to take the time to uh, sort through the tedious work it is to read the Puritans. But John Owen um, was a great man of God and a great um, teacher and wrote many wonderful things. Um, so a few things that you can look at if you'd like to uh, read a little bit more. Um, so the question I want to think about this morning is, what does it mean that God is glorious? And what does it mean that we are to glorify God? Have you ever asked yourself these questions? Um, that's what I want to consider because I think we often, we use this kind of language. It's obviously all through scripture talks about glorifying God and um, that he is glorious. Um, I mean, we're all familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 24 is that familiar passage. Um, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, 
ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. So we see this kind of language all through Scripture, and we, we pray, you know, we'll, we'll end our prayers with, for your glory, you know, our, we'll say glory to God, you know, when we hear something good. But do we think very much about what does that mean? Um, and so that's the question I want to, to ponder this morning. In this passage um, where Moses asked God to show him his glory, if you think about this, Moses had already, he'd already seen the burning bush. He had seen the plagues in Egypt where God's power was mightily upon display. Uh, he'd seen the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Moses had seen incredible works of God at this point already. But in this moment, he asked God, he says, show me your glory. He had already seen these great things. And what this demonstrates is that though Moses knew God, he realized that he had only skimmed the surface of the bottomless depths of the majesty of God. See if this works. So I actually wanted to say a couple things. So um, after I taught last time, I knew exactly what I was going to be teaching. And I'd already started to do some reading and preparing. And then just in my regular morning devotions um, uh, in John, John 8, where it says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Um, this just struck me really hard, and I began to think about the glory of God. And I realized God was changing direction on me. And so while I'd been preparing to do something else, um, I couldn't get away from this concept of the glory of God. And so I shifted gears, and it's amazing. Over the last few weeks, I turn on the radio, and I hear a message on the glory of God at our um, even at the conference we were at, many of these messages talked about God's glory and being, bringing glory to Him. And um, even driving home, uh, we heard the pastor in Pensacola speaking on this very subject. And I get an email from somebody, and it was on the glory of God. And I was like, okay, Lord, I get your point. This is what you want me to teach on. And so um, God be praised, and I hope this is helpful. Um, but if you definitional things. When you look in, in Scripture, there's two um, of the original languages, obviously Hebrew and Greek, that are translated as glory or glorious. Um, the Hebrew word, which is very interesting, the root of it means heaviness or, or weight. And you, um, you think about this in ancient times, if someone was wealthy, their wealth was measured by the weight of their gold or silver or, or jewels or whatever they had. And you could think of them as, as glorious. They were because of so much wealth they had. And, um, and then in the New Testament, it's, it's the word doxeo, which we get the word doxology from, to praise God. Um, these are interesting uh, definitions there. It says to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest or acknowledged. And we think about 
verses that reflect that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Um, I know a lot of y'all like to camp out. There's, I love being out at night camping and just seeing the vast stars. And you know, the more science builds these incredible telescopes that can look deeper and deeper into space, we just see how that we barely touch the surface, how incredibly um, uh, splendor, splendorous, whatever that word is, the splendor of God's majesty is just far beyond anything we could ever imagine. Um, and, uh, and, but also, we think about Christ being glorious. And you look at Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by His word and refer, referring to Christ. And we'll get more into that in a bit. But um, actually, I, I got this email from a guy named John Snyder who uh, he wrote the Behold Your God Bible study. I don't know if y'all have read that, but it's, it's, uh, it's a great, very in-depth Bible study. And he, uh, he defined some of this. He says, the Hebrew word for glory means weight or weightiness. In the ancient world, weight was connected with value. Nowadays, you might have a conversation with someone and say, that was kind of a heavy conversation. There are topics that we think of as heavy topics. If I can turn the page, I'll continue reading this. He um, says, God is weighty. He has substance and worth. Think of it like a mountain. If you are traveling and come to a mountain range, it is not something you can easily push aside and ignore. It changes all your plans. When we think of God, we may think of him as a weightless being who can be pushed aside when he does not fit the way we want to live. But in reality, God is infinitely weighty. He is glorious. He says the Greek word means reputation or honor or the expression of inward reality. Think of the sun in the sky and the rays that come from it. The rays would be the glory or expression of the sun's energy or light. Christ is the radiance of God's glory. Hebrews 1.3. Um, it's interesting when, in, when I consider these definitions, uh, Jeremiah 9, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with this passage, um, was a verse that the Lord used to me back when I was in college to, to humble me and help me to not think so much of myself. But it says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And when you think about this definition, that, that Hebrew word meaning weight or weighty or value, God's massive, infinite weight is so much beyond anything that we can have. How can that, that just applies here? That how can we can't glory in our own wisdom, we can't glory in our own riches, our own power. Because when you compare that with God, we are nothing, you know. We are infinitesimal compared to the infinite weight of God. Uh, Stephen Lawson, he said, As related to God, the word glory represents the infinite weightiness of who He is. The glory of God reflects the sum and substance of His holy character. It encompasses 
the divine perfections, attributes, and essence. It includes His holiness, sovereignty, righteousness, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, truth, grace, mercy, goodness, love, and wrath. It is the Godness of God. In short, the glory of God is the display of His infinite grandeur and vast greatness. Stephen Lawson. When, uh, if you look back in, at some of the great confessions of, in history, y'all probably have all heard the first question in the Westminster Confession, which is, what is the chief end of man? Anybody answer that? What's up here? The chief end of man is to glorify God and, and enjoy Him forever. You've probably heard this before. Um, the London Baptist, 1689 London Baptist Confession, which essentially took the Westminster Confession and made it Baptist, um, Westminster being of the Presbyterians, and, and it was really the continuation of the Reformation um, when it comes to, to baptism and the mode of baptism and believer's baptism. You see, um, it was really, uh, a lot of times the, the Presbyterians, they will um, relate baptism to the covenant of circumcision in the Old Testament and say, well, baptism is now the, the, what we do as the sign in the New Testament, but it was it was actually John Calvin that came up with that idea. It wasn't historically, nobody thought of that until about that time. And then the Baptists later said, no, we only see in Scripture baptism, believer's baptism. And so you begin to see what was called the nonconformists, and that was the Baptists. And so in 1689, in order to, um, part of it was political and, and uh, to make sure they didn't get in trouble with the state, they took the Westminster Confession, which was accepted, and um, made the London Baptist Confession and basically just changed the, uh, the language on baptism and the teaching on baptism. But if you look at the catechism that comes with it, and the second question in this one says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you, you see this in many passages of scripture, Isaiah 43, 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And there's an interesting comment that is associated with this. It says, glorify, the word glorify does not mean make glorious. It means to reflect or display as glorious. So we do not make God glorious. He is glorious because he is God. When we glorify him, we are just reflecting or displaying his glory in our life. And that should be our desire is to re reflect God's glory so that others may see and be pointed to Christ through him. Another uh, catechism is the catechism for boys and girls. We've used this one a ton in our family. It's very easy. It's a great way to just teach basic Christian truth to children. So most of my children can all answer like the first 30 questions or so. And it just begins with, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. And then how can you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. In that last question, we see described in, in John 8 here, the passage I mentioned earlier, which says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. 
continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So I find it interesting the way God tells us, the way the word tells us we glorify him is by bearing fruit. And what is, what is the fruit? There's actually a couple of, uh, of indicatives in this verse. Um, indicative as opposed to imperatives. Imperatives are things that you must do. You must believe in Jesus to be saved as imperative. And indicative is indicating wh- what it means. So I'm saved, therefore these behaviors indicate that I'm saved. But the two indicatives we see here are glorifying God and the proving of your faith. It says, or, uh, the question is, do you want to glorify God? God is glorified by the fruit we bear. And what does bearing fruit look like? Well, everybody should think of Galatians 5 pretty quickly, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, or temperance. This is the fruit of the Spirit, right? That a believer should be bearing. And that is the fruit that glorifies God. Um, when we see these qualities in our life, we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit and bringing glory to God. When we see these qualities, we're also proving our faith is genuine. And that's, that's what James said, right? He said in chapter 2, he said, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So we demonstrate our faith. We demonstrate that we are believers by the things we do and by demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. But it's also glorifying God. It is glorifying God to walk in obedience to the Word. And God will be glorified only by what He says glorifies Him. Say that again. God will be glorified only by what He says glorifies Him. If you think you can glorify God in your own way and in your own power and by your own uh, mind, if it's contrary to the Word of God, you're wrong. That is not how God will be glorified. Uh, uh, Dustin Binge is a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and um, he just happened to uh, put on social media this week. He said, The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. So we learn how to glorify God through the, through the Word of God only. God will be glorified only by what He says glorifies Him. So, but I have to ask the question, how? How do we behold the glory of God? And uh, this is something Owen, uh, John Owen addresses in his book. And he says, he says, one of the greatest privileges the believer has both in this world and for eternity is to behold the glory of Christ. So Christ prays that they may behold my glory. But this glorious privilege is not limited to the heavenly state. It includes the state of believers in this world, as I shall show. And he goes on to talk about how we glorify God and how we behold His glory. And, but 
We, when we think back to the passage we just talked about, or we just read, and where Moses, God said, um, he says, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall be no man see me and live. God is so incredibly glorious that if we saw his glory in full blazing power, we would be instantly vaporized. Uh, someone has said that, uh, I may be a little off, but our sun is like 200 million nuclear explosions all going off at once. And if we were to fly over the sun and jump onto it, we would instantly be gone, right? It would just vaporize us. Yet God not only spoke our sun into existence, he spoke the entire universe into existence. And all of that power is, re is represented in his glorious nature. It's an interesting verse in Habakkuk chapter 3. And uh, Habakkuk, he says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise, and his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. We think all oh, this brightness and majesty and flashing, oh, God's revealing his power. No, he says, there's the hiding of his power. Hiding? Well, yes, God had to hide like he did for Moses. He put his hand to hide and only let him see his back parts because if he wasn't hiding his glory, you know what I mean? Blow you away, right? His glory is so incredibly marvelous. It would utterly vaporize us. So how do we behold God's glory? If it is so powerful, we can't. Well, I've, uh, I've mentioned this a little bit already. We behold God's glory by faith in Jesus Christ. Owen, he says, Let no one deceive himself. He that has no sight of Christ's glory here shall never see it hereafter. The beholding of Christ in glory is too high, glorious, and marvelous for us in our present condition. The splendor of Christ's glory is too much for our physical eyes, just as the sun shining in all its strength. So while we are here on earth, we can behold His glory only by faith. When we put our faith in Christ, that's when we begin to see the glory of Christ. Moses, and, and we begin to long to see it more and more, and we begin to see his handiwork in everything around us. We begin to see his answering of prayers. We can look at the scars and say, wow, God made all this. And just as Moses had seen these miraculous things, he still wanted to see more. And the more we know Christ and our faith is strengthened in him, the more we see his glory through faith. He said, but Christ is specially glorious because he alone perfectly reveals God's nature and will to us. And we see this in these multiple passages of Scripture. Colossians 1, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And in Colossians 2, again, he says, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head 
of all principality and power. So in Christ, we begin to see the fullness of God's glory. Interesting, the word fullness and complete in Colossians 2 there are actually the same root Greek word. You could, you could say, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are full in him. Or you could say, in him dwelleth the completeness of the Godhead, and we are complete in, in him. It is only by faith that we are able to see the fullness of God and his glorious nature. And then Hebrews 1 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the upholding of all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, 3. It is in Jesus Christ that his glory is manifested and it is in the saving of souls that his glory is found today. Owen said, in this world we behold God's glory by faith. In eternity we will hold it by sight. But he also, Owen goes on to remind us that uh, the consequences of not beholding Christ's glory by faith. He said, no man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven who does not in some measure behold it by faith in this world. Right? And uh, I, I love what he said here. He said, music cannot please a deaf man, nor can beautiful colors impress a blind man. A fish would not thank you for taking it out of the sea and putting it on dry land under the blazing sun. Neither would an unregenerate sinner welcome the thought of living forever in the blazing glory of Christ. We must put our faith in Christ to fully experience God's glory here on earth and in eternity. Second uh, Corinthians 4 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And again, I say the more we know Christ, the more we begin to see that glorious nature. The more we dwell, set our minds on things above instead of things of this world, the more glorious Christ becomes to us. And so I want to ask you this question again. Do you behold the glory of Christ through faith? And I'm assuming most everyone in here has believed in Jesus Christ. Um, there's a pastor, Josh Bice, who was one of the speakers at the conference I was at last weekend. He's the head of G3 Ministries. Maybe some of y'all have heard of this. Um, and he <clears throat> preached a sermon on the gospel. Well, he preached it on Paul in general. But he, he pointed out some things in the book of Romans that I'd never really noticed before. And... In the book of Romans, we see the gospel mentioned multiple times. Thirteen times the word the gospel is used in the book of Romans. And he begins in chapter 1, in verse 1 and 2, says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, 
which he had promised before by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ, being God, became the incarnation, lived a perfect life on earth, died a brutal death for our sins, and on the third day was raised. And by believing in Jesus Christ, and that he was the propitiation for our sins, that he took the place for our sins, through faith we are saved. The gospel, right? In a nutshell, it is God's gospel, right? It's only from God. And then over and over, the way he phrases, uh, such as in verse 1 and 16, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. So he says, the gospel. So we're nowhere you see the gospel. And this reminds us there is only one gospel. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one gospel. But then as you get to the end of the book of Romans, and in my, I guess, uh, fleshly spirit, when I would read the way Paul worded this, I, I wasn't very comfortable with it. And I was like, why does he say it this way? Is Paul being arrogant here? But you, you see in, in chapter 16, verse 25, he says, Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. But you see how he words it here. He says, my gospel. Like, Paul, it's, it's God's gospel. But let me ask you this question. Is the gospel your gospel? Can you say it is my gospel? That God has saved me. It is my gospel. Yes, it is God's gospel. And yes, there is only one gospel, but is it my gospel? Have I personally put my faith in Jesus Christ and made him glorious? Has he become glorious in our sight? Because if it's not your gospel, then you will never see his glory in eternity. Is it your gospel? And if it is, which I trust everyone here that I'm looking at, it is your gospel. Are you glorifying God the way he says we must glorify him. That is the question. Are we walking by the Spirit? Are we obeying his word? It upsets me so much when I see the word legalism thrown around. And it's often in terms of obedience. You know, we should, we should obey Scripture. You're just being legalistic. No, I'm obeying Scripture. Ah, that's legalism. No, it's obedience, as we saw in John 8. And you know what else it is? It is glorifying God. Do you long to glorify God? And if you do, are you doing it the way He commands that we do it? By loving Him and keeping His commands. By walking in the Spirit. By living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, temperance. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And none of that is legalism. That, according to John 8, is glorifying God when we live out these commands of Scripture. And one day, whether we have 
put our faith in Jesus Christ or not, we will proclaim that He is worthy, and He is worthy. If we have not, our knee will still be bowed before Him. Scripture says, one day every knee shall bow, either to be thrown into judgment or to see His glory in all its splendor in eternity in heaven. Revelation 4 says here, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4.1. In the Romans 11, I love how this is put, O oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath seen his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When Moses uh, asked God to show him his glory, I found it interesting when God says, the, the first thing he says is, um, I'm going to let all my goodness pass for, before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. Seeing God's glory, even a glimpse of it, is God's grace. But the fact that he didn't show him all his glory was his mercy. He says, look, Mo Moses, I'm going to show you a little bit, but I'm going to be merciful to you in it because I don't want to destroy you. His majesty is so incredibly powerful, um, but yet even here on earth, we can only just scratch the surface of how incredibly worthy he is of all the praise and glory that he is worth. But through Christ, we get to share a little bit of it. Um, there's a song that was written. I'm not really big on much modern Christian music. Um, but a guy named Andrew Peterson wrote a song a couple years ago. And my children actually pointed me to it. And um, I, uh, I pulled it up on my phone one day. I was sitting in my truck. And I, I found myself just weeping when I listened to it. And um, I just want to read the words to you. It's called, he is, it's, it's a question. He, is he worthy? And it goes like this. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. And then the chorus says, Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb of God 
who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. And the song goes on. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. He is worthy. He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of this. I'm sorry, is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. He is. Is he worthy? He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. And I'll leave you with this last verse, Jude one twenty-five: To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You are glorious. You are majestic. You are beyond anything we can even imagine. And Lord, I pray that You would show us a bit of Your glory. Lord, You would be merciful to us. And yet You would be gracious as You have been. Lord, give us hearts that long to know You more. To see Your power evident in our lives. To behold you is glorious through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. For you are glorious. And Lord, even when we don't see it, we see sin and destruction and evil. Yet in the midst of all this, you are radiantly glory and powerful, glorious and powerful. And God, we just thank you, Lord, that by faith in you, we can behold your glory. And I pray, Lord, we would continue to look to you and know it better and better. We would know it more and more. We would seek your face with all our hearts. And we would share this good news, the good news of the gospel of God, the one and only gospel, and the gospel that you have given us personally, Lord, that we may know you. Help us to share this good news with others, that others may come to know you and behold your glory as well. God, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.